thank you, Jesus, for loving us, saving us, and keeping us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Jesus, that your word is true and that you sanctify us by it. We need your grace so much right now to hear correctly, to speak correctly, to love you correctly. So we ask God, come, come now and meet us. Be glorified in us. In your name, amen. And please be seated. <laughs> Bible transition here. the sermon, I'm just going to drink a bunch of water. I want to start with a question, and the question is this. How long has it been since you have just sat in amazement and pondered the fact that you're able to come directly to God in you realize we have direct access to God. In our um, sermon this morning, we're going to look at prayer. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount. But I think it's really helpful to realize how much of a gift it is to us. How powerful this gift is. How amazing it is by realizing it wasn't always this way. Some 2,000 years or so before the Sermon on the Mount, God brought his people out of the land of Egypt um, to another mountain where he spoke to them, Mount Sinai. And I want to read the entirety of Exodus chapter 19 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, would you please open to that chapter? And as we go through it, maybe you're going to see like a, a theme that is going throughout all of Scripture, the fact that God is holy he loves his people. He wants his people to be his treasured possession, a royal priesthood, provided they obey him. And then notice, the people can't even come before God, lest they die. Exodus chapter 19. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the day they came into the wilderness of Sinai, they sat out from Rephidim, and came in the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. You see this. See Jesus' love here, God's love to his people. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came down and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. 
And Moses reported the words of all the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words to the people, of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments, and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, and you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up to the mountain or to touch the edge of it, not even to touch the edge of the mountain of God. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people, consecrated the people, and washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke. Hear this. Because the Lord had descended on it in fire. I can't imagine that. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. The mountain is trembling. Amazing. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perished. Also, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down, and come up, bring an Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest they break out against he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. That's just amazing. I, I cannot fathom what it must have been like there to have the, the mountain shaken before them, the smoke going up, God descending down in fire, a cloud around him. God saying, I love my people. I want them to hear my voice. But in order for them to hear my voice, there has to be a cloud. There has to be some sort of a protection around them. Because I'm holy. They cannot come near me. But I love them. And so I'm coming to them. Now we're in the Sermon of the Mount on a different mountain. God came down to them again. Us. Jesus, 100% man, 100% God. He's looking at them right eye to eye. What in the world is going on? The almighty, powerful God loves us so much. 
that even though we deserve death, he is seeking us. He is coming after us. And he's telling us, come, ask me, seek me, knock, and the door will be open. Pray to me, directly to me. You don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to go through Moses. I am here. I am here for you. God has not changed over time. His standard is still very high. In fact, the standard is perfection. He says in Matthew 5.48 in the Sermon on the Mount, Therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But of course, he provided us a way to come to him by his grace and his mercy. I don't know about you, but as I've been listening to the Sermon on the Mount, the series, I have had so many convictions thrown at me in in many different ways. Um, I kind of felt like almost like the guy on Pilgrim's Progress, like I'm carrying around this big backpack that I cannot hold on to. Last week I was talking to BJ after he preached on on judgment. I'm like, that that was so clear. I feel like I'm riddled with bullet holes now. And I was picturing myself crawling up to the pulpit trying to pull myself up today, and I couldn't. This picture is so clear in my mind. And then I knew what passage was coming up that we were going to talk about today. And then I see Jesus with his arms wide open right there. Ask me. Seek me. Knock. And it will be open. And then he just lifts me up and I'm there. Solid rock foundation. Jesus Christ, our Lord. So as we look at this passage, it's it's really well known to us. um, Very basic, very powerful and straightforward. I see six truths that I just want to talk about this morning. And if you could chew on them throughout the week and just let them set into your heart. Number one, Jesus tells us to pray all the time. As I was putting this message together, I read over and over again this passage, the context of it read numerous commentaries for myself. I spent quite a bit of time in prayer trying to figure it out. What exactly does God mean when he says, ask, seek, and knock? And I learned that it meant ask, seek, and knock. I just realized right now that I didn't even read our passage yet. (laughs) I started going off. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Matthew chapter 7, 7 through 11, and maybe you'll know what I'm talking about. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So Jesus is telling us to come to him and come to him all the time. He says, ask, seek, and knock. Come to me all the time. It's, it's a command. Come to me continually all the time. He doesn't grow weary. Even if you're praying the same prayer over and over and over again. I can't fathom this because I'd go nuts if someone kept asking me the same prayer over and over again. But Jesus wants us to come to him like we're begging. A beggar. We are in need. We don't have what you need. And we're coming before you. At my work, the chief is in charge. If his door is open, 
you can go stand in the doorway and ask for permission to enter his office. If the door is shut, I dare not knock on it. But here the king of kings is saying, come to me, knock, and keep on knocking. We get the importance of prayer also when we, when we see it in light of warfare. Ephesians chapter 6, I love this passage. We're reminded that our life is spiritual warfare. Day to day, constantly, we're fighting, not against things that we can see in this earth, but against angels, demons, principalities, and arrows are being thrown at us, spiritual arrows, and we're supposed to don spiritual armor, like the helmet of salvation, breastplate of um, righteousness, belt of truth. We have the sword before us. And then after that whole passage where it talks about donning all of this so that we can fight, so that we can withstand everything that's coming at us, we're told, once again, pray. Pray without ceasing. Pray all the time. It's like the prayer is the stitching in the armor. It's what's holding everything together. It's complete dependence on God. We need the prayer when we're struggling and when we're in the battle and when we're on top of the tower and we're looking out waiting for the enemy to come. Prayer is to be constant. All the time. Jesus says, ask, seek, not continually. Otherwise, we're all goners. We're going to lose the battle. And there's not much different interpretation between ask, seek, and knock. But we do get different images, word images we think about it. Maybe for you right now, your your spiritual life is on top of a mountain. You're just doing great. Singing worship. Yeah, that's exactly how I've been feeling. God's just been hitting me really, really strong, really close, and you're excited. Jesus is good. So maybe prayer is more like a Maybe you're in a crossroads in your life. You know exactly. Do I turn right? Do I turn left? Go to this school, that school? Do I marry this person? Do I discipline my kids? I don't know. So maybe prayer is more seeking God. Give me wisdom. I need to know what this means. I mean, the passage right before, right, in the judgment section, we talked talk about don't cast pearls before swine. We need wisdom. We need to know when do we waste our time? When do we tell someone the truth? When do we do this? It's more of a seeking kind of imagery. Maybe you're battling. Maybe you've been in battle for a long, long time. Struggling. Same sin over and over again. Deep root pornography. I don't know. God doesn't seem to be delivering. What is going on? Maybe that's more of a knocking imagery. Maybe it's more of a pounding. God, where are you? It's okay to do that. We see that all the time in the Psalms. Knocking, we're battling. No matter what we are going through, we need to pray and not cease to pray. Number two, God will answer every prayer. Every prayer that we pray will be answered. This is huge. It's a huge comfort to us, and we need to believe it. Don't let Satan snatch this one from you. God will answer our prayers. Jesus says, ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. And then he repeats this promise, emphasizing it, magnifying it, showing how much Jesus means this. Jesus is promising us this. He says, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open. The promise is absolute. He will answer. 
And I know that because I'm the same way that there's people out here who might be thinking, well, that's not entirely true. I've prayed many things. I've sought things. I've knocked. And uh, it didn't happen. And I found that this story, someone's testimony, um, sheds some light on this and, and is pretty powerful. There's an article um, from Christianity Today. Um, the article um, was written in 1982. It's titled The War Within, um, author unknown. If you don't know who it is, you can go look it up. 16-page article from a pastor. He was a pastor during this struggle, and he talked about 10 years of an addiction to pornography and lust while he was a pastor. He had a family. He talked about how he would go to different speaking engagements, and in between speaking, he would go to strip clubs. That's how deep the root of this sin was in his life. He has a really powerful sentence in here. He, he says he, he's... He's been delivered from this. That's why he's writing this article. In fact, there's a follow-up article a few years later. They want to know, well, is he back into it? And he, he professes, Jesus, save me. Listen to this sentence. I cannot tell you why a prayer that has been asked for ten years is answered on the thousandth request. When God has met it for the first 999, God's timing is perfect. I don't know why I have to ask this over and over again. I have no idea. God knows my heart. But God promises that he will answer it. So continue to pray, knowing that God promises that he will hear every prayer that you pray and that he will answer it. Trust that he is God. Timing that he is right. Number three, God will only give us what is good for us. Our passage says, How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask? Another objection. (laughs) That's what I, I would be thinking. I have prayed good things, God, and you have not given them. All right? I clearly know this. I prayed for to win the lottery because I would give us a new church building. It was a good idea. Clearly a good idea. Now, once again, the timing may be different. Maybe you are praying for something righteous, and it's going to happen. That's what we just talked about. But maybe we could get a little bit of counsel from James chapter 4, verses 3 through 10. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passion. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says, He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us? Listen to this. Listen to this. But He gives more grace. That's the main theme throughout everything. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. 
Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Maybe the reason why your prayer hasn't been answered, even though you think it's good, is because you're asking wrongly. Because you have the wrong intention. Or maybe your view is flawed. You're in the process of sanctification. God hasn't revealed to you what the best idea is yet. You don't understand. You're praying for something you think is good. But ultimately, if God was going to give you what you thought was good, it would be bad. It would lead to misery. It would lead to destruction. We need to trust that God knows what is good for us. Can you imagine if God gave us everything we pray for? Then we would be God. God would be like a genie. Depending on what mood I'm in, I might be praying some different kinds of prayers. I'm so thankful that God is holy and he will only give me what is good for me. I can trust that. We don't know what to pray for as we ought. Pastor Bob mentioned that already. Levi preached about it um, a few Sundays ago in the prayer session. When we know the Word, when our, when our mind, when everything about us is, is immersed in, in this Word, when we're wrestling, when we're struggling, trying to figure out what, what is going on here, then we know what the will of the Lord is. Then we know what to pray for. And sometimes our prayers are very open God, I'm praying for the... You ever hear this? You think someone's just using it as a little caveat for lack of faith. Heal this person, but your will be done. And then you start to think, oh, you're just throwing that on there just so that you could say that still God's will is going to happen even if it doesn't happen. Or do you have lack of faith? You say, no. You really understand that God's ways are the best ways, that God has the wisdom, that God knows what's best. He might say what's best is that this person doesn't be healed. You have no idea why. When I went on a mission trip to uh, Peru, um, husband and wife, um, Bear and Gordy, she, she still called her Bear. But she, she, she walked around with a limp. She had a cane. And uh, this, this dawned on me, this, this, this concept. She said at one point when she was teaching us, preparing us to go to mission trip, she says, I don't know why it brings God's glory, glory to God that I walk around with this cane. But for some reason it does. He hasn't chosen to heal me. I was looking at her. And it is amazing that you're walking around with a cane. You're still going to worship. It's amazing that you still have your strength must be from something greater than within yourself. Or sometimes God just chooses to, to heal because that is his will. First John five fourteen and 15 says, And this is the confidence that we have toward him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked. Number four, we can trust God 
because God is God. God is holy, righteous, and perfect. And we need to know this truth because we're placing all of our trust in Him. We are trusting, God, you said you're going to give good gifts, so you're going to give good gifts. We can place all of our trust in Him. This is where we need to be encouraged by being reminded that God is in control of our every situation and He is loving. He has our best interests at heart. There was a promise that God made to His people Israel during the time of Jeremiah when the people were in exile. It was really a common passage that we use. It is a truth that is still good for us today and we should find encouragement in it. It says in Jeremiah 29, 11-13, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, the plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Once again, there's times in our lives, of course, that that, that we go through that we just cannot see how God's goodness is coming through. Right? We know that God's God, and we need to trust that. Job's story is, I think, so powerful. You know the story, right? 42 chapters long. God's there. Satan comes up to God. God says, I've been roaming the earth, been looking around for someone to sift, basically. God says, well, have you considered my servant Job? He loves me. There's no one like him in all of the land. Satan, Alan Summers, says, well, yeah. The reason why he loves you so much is, is, is because his life's easy. He's rich. He has everything. Give him a little bit of time with me and we'll see what happens. God says, very well then. You can go ahead and sift Job in certain verses. You can't take his life. So Job's family gets destroyed. His home gets destroyed. Everything gets destroyed about him. He's in sickness. To a point where everything in Job's life that he could put hope in, that he looked at to hang on to, was ripped away from him. Until all he had left was God. And you see this throughout the whole book of Job. Um, Job's going through all of these different trials. He's crying out to God. He's questioning God. He's getting counsel from different friends. That's sometimes pretty lame counsel. Trying to understand what is going on. And then it comes to chapter 42. The last chapter. And Job then prays this prayer to God. He says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you will make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Is that not God's goal for all of us? Job said, 
at one point, he goes, before all of the suffering that I went through, my ear heard me. But now that I have suffered greatly and gone through all this, now my eye sees. Don't let life's trials deceive you. God is in control and He is working out salvation. This is what separates us from our Heavenly Father and our earthly Father. This is the distinction. God is perfect. God is in complete control. His judgment is holy. On the contrary, all of us down here, not just the Father, the Mother, everyone, we're under sin. Our judgment is flawed. God is perfect and He loves us. In fact, the Bible makes this clear that God is love. 1 John 4.8 says, If anyone does not love, he does not know God, because God is love. Number five. In order to receive God's promise to us this morning, we need to have a father and mother. And to put it another way, we need to be Christians. Our passage makes this very clear. How much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Question then, do you believe in Jesus? Have you placed your trust? He's standing here, arms open wide, looking at the people. He's looking at us just the same. Ask. Seek. Find. It will be given to you. I love you. You need me. Surrender to me. This powerful, well-known verse, For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whoever believeth in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Father in heaven gives everything we need. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and with your mouth you confess and are saved. So give up living for yourself and surrender to And I want to piggyback on that call for salvation. And I want to say something to all of us that are lukewarm. I throw myself in here too. Jesus is calling us to have a vibrant life in Him. He is calling us to place all of our trust in Him, to live for Him, to knock and live for Him. Our life doesn't have to be lived miserably. We don't have to live life with fear and worrying. Over and over again, we've heard this throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is saying, you're living your life like this. You say you love me, but you're doing this. Let me tell you the correct way to live. You have a wife that I've given to you. Keep her. Don't lust. You're committing adultery in your heart. I know you, you struggle with all these things and you can't handle it. That's why I'm saying come to me. We are all living lukewarm to a certain degree or another. I mean, even in the Old Testament, they looked 
And as they saw Jesus all the clearer, they said, my righteousness is as filthy rags. Jesus commands us this morning to knock on His door because He loves us, when in fact, at the same time, He's knocking on the door of our hearts. Revelation 3, 14-22 gives a very powerful image. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. What that you were either cold or hot. So because you were lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I don't want to be spit out of God's mouth. I don't think you should either. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you were wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. See the picture of Job's story right here. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love I reprove and discipline so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Since the very beginning, though sin has separated us from God, God still, even now, is pursuing. Answer his knock and let him come into your life. And he promises that he will clothe us and provide our every need for our good and his glory. Number six, know what to ask for. Ask for grace to obey him. Jesus doesn't tell us in our passage what it is specifically that we're supposed to ask for, but we know because we know His Word. We know what has been going on during the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount, before, this, before we started doing this series, I kept thinking chapter 5, chapter 5 in Matthew. It's three chapters long. Over and over again, reminding us our deficiency, but our strength is Him. We have victory in His grace. So that's what we pray for. We know what to pray for. We know His will. And we know His Word. And the good news is is that God is pleased to give us His Holy Spirit to conquer all of our struggles. The parallel passage to ours this morning is in Luke chapter 11. Just like everything in Luke, it's an extended version of what we're looking at. But the last verse in the passage, verse 13, it says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? By God's grace, we come to Him. By God's grace, we abide in Him through the power of the Holy Spirit.
1 John 4, 13-19. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His, of his Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this is love perfected in us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. The most powerful image of his love for us is Jesus coming down to die on the cross to save us. 100% God, 100% man. Obeying his father, his father's will to the point of death. And closing with this. Luke 22, 39-46. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray, that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, What are you sleeping? Rise and pray. 